This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Marcy Zaroff. I'm the founder and CEO of Eco Fashion Corp. I'm a 25 plus year uh, pioneer of the eco fashion movement. In fact, I coined and trademarked the term eco fashion in 1995. And Eco Fashion Corp today is made up of metaware, farm to home, yes and, and sea to style, as well as an organic cotton farm project in India called Reset. And what I love about fashion is the unlimited potential of creativity and co-creation because in the words of my favorite quote, vision is the art of seeing things invisible by Jonathan Swift. So we can create whatever reality we wish to see and we can design the reality we wish to see. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. Uh, so happy to have you here. Uh, delighted, in fact. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako. Uh, I'm also personally delighted to be joined by my good friend and our co-host, Mr. Pubbin Ball from Bellwether Culture. Hey, Pubbin. Hey, what's going on, Mark? Good. You have a proper. You you have your regular. Uh, you got your backwards baseball cap on. Your yeah. black t shirt. Yeah, no 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 cowboy hats this time. No cowboy no, uh, hats. Sombreros. So I'm, I'm kind of keeping it pretty you're, neutral. Today. You're you're in your standard your standard costuming. Man, <laughs> man bun and all. Yeah, man, yeah. Man it's it's all. a it's a what did we? Uh, it's a him yeah, his bun. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. I like that. That's a hashtag. It's going to be, you're going to be, make that happen. Anyway, uh, you heard another voice there. And of course, that's Marcy Zaroff. Marcy, welcome to the show. We're really happy to have you join us. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. So I'd like to kick it off with a quick question, uh, which seems, I think, natural. You, As you, you mentioned in your introduction, uh, eco fashion has been around for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, you've been a pioneer in that space, coining that term. So here's my question. Uh, in the year that you coined that term, what do you think the distances in your own mind of what that term meant when you coined it versus where we are now at the end of 2020? Yeah, well, I can tell you that the most commonly asked question that I got when I coined that term was, can you smoke it after you wear it? Um, and you know, the, the idea of eco fashion was, well, don't, don't he keep us waiting. Did you smoke it after you wore it? <laughs> you could try, but, uh, but there were, you know, back in, back in the day, um, there were a lot of stigmas that came with that term. Um, so when people would hear eco fashion, they would think, wait a minute, those are two dichotomous worlds. They could never coexist because people who are into the environment and ecology and humanitarianism are not the same people that are into fashion and the material world and the way you look. And I was like, wait a minute, but I'm that person. You know, I want to look good, feel good and do good in the world. So bridging, you know, the tribe and the boardroom or the tree hugger and the fashionista was really my mantra. And it was to break the stigmas that went with sustainable or eco fashion, such as, you know, crunchy frumpy boxy beige boring made from hand potato sack overpriced you know how do you really know if there's anything sustainable about it so there were all these stigmas so i was kind of not even at a ground zero i was below ground and i had to kind of build up and convince people that 
these two worlds do not have to be mutually exclusive. Wow. And, and how about today? I mean, of course, we, we've covered a, a ton of, let's say, eco-fashion, sustainability, you know, whatever you want to call it, zero per footprint, negative <laughs> footprint, um, you know, uh, where, where are we in terms of uh, the next progression or what, what has to be done from here? Yeah, well, you know, I have to say I pinch myself every day because um, I think everybody in the fashion industry is drinking the proverbial, you know, sustainability Kool-Aid now mm -hmm. and jumping on the bandwagon. And, you know, the the reality is, is it's very daunting to navigate a supply chain sustainably because in a garment, you know, the supply chain can have seven to 10 different hands touching it from, you know, farm to finished product. And so, you know, there are a lot of complexities sort of inherent in sustainable fashion that you really have to know what you're doing. So I think while it's great to see that, you know, it's on everyone's radar now, my concern is, you know, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, people or companies, brands are vulnerable to missteps, to, you know, getting caught with their pants down, to, you know, thinking they're doing something right, but oops. You know, some broker across the world in China told them something that they never actually validated. And, uh-oh, you know, it wasn't really what I thought it was. So there's a lot of risk, but there's a huge reward. And for someone like me, who's been in the trenches for over 25 years, you know, certainly has opened up, you know, the opportunity for me to leverage that experience to help accelerate the whole movement by, you know, private label turnkey manufacturing that's all sustainable, which is what we do at MetaWare. So, so on the business side, though, Marcy, I mean, you know, we've had friends that, again, similar to you, have been in this industry for some time. And, you know, of course, you didn't start off down this path as, um, you know, the intent to make a whole ton of money. But I, I could only imagine that things have been, uh, you know, coming to fruition in terms of your mission, as well as uh, just the activity around what you're doing. Yeah, I, I often say I feel like a little kid in a candy store because I get to do what I love, make a great living, mm -hmm. and change the world. So check, check, check. Sign me up for that. Yeah, you know, I was I was talking to so uh, you know um, an activist, uh, an eco activist, uh, Bandana Tawari. She's a good friend of mine who's based out in uh, Bali right now. Um, you know, she talks about a lot of the um, I guess cultural sustainability, the cultural impacts of preserving heritage. And, you know, I'm curious about kind of your takeaways and your work uh, through Fever uh, in India and kind of what that initiative is all about. Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons I've always been drawn to India and I've been, you know, traveling to India and manufacturing in India for several decades. Um, you know, going back to the cultural part and I, and I love Bandana, um, is this, oh, you got, oh, yes. good. I, I figured you guys would have a, have a lot of crossover. <laughs> yes. Um, and you know, for me, it really starts with the seed because the seed represents life. And when you look, when you meet the tribal farmers in India and you recognize that, you know, every Everything is made of energy, including ourselves, right? If we start with a healthy, conscious seed and we start with healthy, vibrant, alive soil, then we can bring that energy up our products to the, you know, finished fashion. But what happens is, is in places like India and China and all over the world that are the, you know, leading uh, producers of, of textiles, there has been so much exploitation of farmers because as fast fashion has pushed prices down, who gets 
pushed down the most are the farmers and the factory workers, where they can barely sustain their livelihoods. And here they're working so hard to be the soul of the product, really. Um, and so financially and now environmentally with climate change, you know, that is a real concern. You know, clothing doesn't grow in the department store, right? We, we kind of take for granted that, you know, climate change is real and the farmers' lives are being affected. You know, they can lose everything in a single season. So to me, how do we build resistance and re resilience and livelihoods that are sustainable is all part of the model of eco fashion, right? So it starts at the ground and we build up and I'm a soil junkie, you know, because the soil is really the skin of the earth and it's meant to protect us and it's meant to protect the farmers. And so, you know, when I look at things like the suicide rates of conventional cotton farmers in India, that's devastating. A lot of people have no idea. They think, oh, cotton is such a fabulous fabric, right? I, you know, my t-shirts, my jeans, my robes, my towels and sheets, like everything, you know, we all touch cotton every day. But what people don't realize is in a country like India, the pesticide treadmill is very real where the farmers get lured in by the seed companies and the pesticides. And then they, they start to leverage their farms to the banks in partnership with these companies to the point where, you know, they go into despair because the expense, the inputs get more and more expensive as the bugs build resistance. And that means they're leveraging more of their farms. And at the end of the day, their soil is broken down, their plants start to break down, and the bugs get out of control, and they've leveraged their farms. So they're drinking pesticides to commit suicide every half an hour in India. And you know, it's devastating. Wow. You, know, you know, I don't think that most people who say, or even brands that say, I want economically response uh ecologically responsible fashion or products understand the the many layers and implications that go into undertaking that and what the the, the potentially risky or devastating or complex supply chain and the impact to communities and and other aspects of ecology can be because i imagine also you know bugs exist for a reason right so if if you if you kill them off, it affects everything around you. But if you don't kill them off, then it changes the balance of the nature around you. I mean, there's just there's got to be implications no matter which way you approach yeah, this, right? This is the first time that I'm hearing or kind of understanding, I guess, the implication of the pesticides and the resilience that bugs are building up to it and things of that nature. Mark, I mean, I probably the first time that we started talking about, you know, sustainability probably six years. Well, I mean, we started the podcast six years ago. So say six years ago and um, maybe 10 years back is the first time I heard this term is or this uh, stat is that, you know, it takes about 300 gallons of water, right, to make one white t-shirt. And and that alone, and of course, this is now uh, something across the industry we, we are all very much aware of. But from the consumer side, you know, that still shocks friends at, you know, uh, around the coffee table. Constantly, right? So, like the the awareness still is not really there unless you're in these circles that are constantly talking about it. Yeah, that's why education is so paramount in this movement because people just have no idea that fashion is one of the leading causes of air and water pollution in the world. I mean, twenty yeah. percent, you know, of the world's industrial, you know, water pollution mm -hmm. is 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 from textile treatment and dying, you know? And, and I, th I think as an industry, we're second to oil and gas. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, you'll see, depending on what's included, when you start including transportation and agriculture, which are definitely mm. part of the fashion industry, you'll see statistics as high as 8 to 10% of the world's carbon footprint 
is coming out of the fashion industry, right? So the impacts, the human and environmental impacts are at every single touch point from the farm and the cotton and the soil itself, because soil is one of our greatest solutions to climate change when it's healthy, when it's alive, when it's, you know, that's why we have to regenerate soil now, right? All over the earth. Um, but then at the factory level, you know, to your point, the fashion revolution was a huge wake up call as, you know, as the Bangladesh Rana Plaza tragedy was certainly a catalyst for that. And, you know, when you have, uh, you know, 1300, you know, 33 people, 1133 people, right, that lost their lives in a split second. Um, you know, in a factory that collapsed, it just said like business as usual is not okay in fashion anymore. We can't keep subcontracting and creating slave labor environments that are risking people's lives. And it's just, yeah, nothing's, you know, no shirt is worth that. <laughs> you know, that statement of eight or that fact of eight to 10% um, of the carbon footprint is attributed to fashion or fashion related production. Um, you know, that that's why I'm so bullish on re-commerce as a model. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, like, how you're tracking those types of um, business models going forward. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. I don't know if you saw just yesterday, actually, we put out a press release, our new brand, Yes And, which is Yes, style, quality, fit, color, comfort, hand, price, and, oh, by the way, it's also certified organic and environmentally and socially accountable, uh, fair trade and low-impact diet and so on. Um, but we just announced that we're going to be carbon net zero by November 11th, 2022. And we're tracking now, we're starting to build out a blockchain technology from the farm all the way up that's going to do carbon mapping so we can do carbon insetting so we can offset any emissions along the way, but also starting at the soil, we can capture carbon into the soil, which, as I said before, soil is our greatest solution to climate change because it acts like a sponge and it absorbs carbon when it's healthy and alive. When it's dead and it's turned to dirt because of pesticides and GMO seeds, the, the carbon just reflects back into the environment, into the atmosphere, and then the water runs off instead of soaking in and being absorbed, which going back to your water comment about T-shirts, you know, most organic cotton around the world is rain fed. And because the soil is so much healthier, the water actually absorbs and holds and lasts much longer to feed the plant. So there's so many benefits that we don't even think about because we're so busy just, you know, shopping and thinking about like what looks good on us. But, you know, the ramifications are significant as to the who, who made my clothes, what's in my clothes, how are they being made, where are they being made? And we need to ask those questions. I, I, I just want to ask you, and I really truly don't mean this as a joke, you know, the uh, the term yes and is widely known to be about accepting the offer and it's a, a staple of improvisation. Is that is that something you're mindful of in the name of that company? Is that part of the ethos about accepting the offer that's given to you? Well, it's it's very ironic because my daughter um, has a nonprofit called Entertainment for Change. And um, both of my children, my son graduated with a degree in musical theater and my daughter graduated with a theater degree. So when I first, we first came up with the name Yes And, they both kind of bookended me with, do you know that Yes And is a big improv term? And since then, my daughter has written a song about Yes And and she did an improv act at the launch party for Yes And. So yes, I'm aware now, but when I named the brand, it was named after the first chapter of my book, Eco Renaissance, with the tagline, co-creating a style stylish, sexy, and sustainable world. Um, the first chapter is all about yes and, which is another way of saying no compromise. You know, uh, 
Marcy, I'm wondering, you mentioned, um, so I'm kind of fascinated of blockchain's uh, ability to to track and really kind of lend visibility into the, the full supply chain. Um, do, are there conversations that you're involved in, whether uh, it be local, national, or international government entities that are working towards making mandates on um, leveraging or using blockchain for, for tracing? So I haven't heard any mandates. I think right now the private sector is just recognizing that sustainability is no longer about staying ahead. It's about not being left behind. And I think our first chapter of sustainability was the certification process, of which I happen to be a very big advocate of, of certifications, because I do believe today that is our only third party accredited way to validate and verify a supply chain, you know, um, any kind of representation you're going to make. So for instance, the GOT standard, the global organic textile standard, I was on the team of people that wrote that in the nineties. And so I've been a big advocate of GOT since its launch in 2006. And the first GOTS product in America actually was on the shelves of Target and my company under the canopy, uh, my former company, we brought that to life. We were the vendor and manufacturer and brand behind it. Um, so to me, traceability is critically important. And I think the next chapter in traceability is blockchain because you know, you have this data that you can enter into the blockchain and build on it up the blockchain to spit out all the way to a QR code on a garment, the where and the what and the how that product was made. But obviously, it's all dependent today on entering, you know, reliable data, right? So it's still, there's still a little room there for it to be gray. But I think we're just at the beginning. And relatively speaking, you know, this industry or sustainable fashion, eco fashion is at its infancy compared to organic and sustainable food, right? But we're, we're riding in that wake where the, you know, the consumer's waking up now. Yeah, I think what uh, the consumers are, are from a wide majority of people don't understand is that when you're talking about a multinational uh, fashion company or, or you know, fashion brand, the, the supply chain is not, hey, I need to make this sweater and I go uh, to my manufacturer and make that sweater. The amount of subcontractors that these folks are using um, can, can, I mean, their supply chain extends into the thousands and thousands to the point where, uh, companies like, let's say a fast fashion H and M or whoever, I don't want to pick on them, but uh, I'll go ahead because, you know, they're trying. Um, but at the end of the day, like they can't identify, uh, all the different vendors in, um, in their, in their trail. So, you know, it's, it's, it really is fascinating. I mean, when you talk about seed to wear, um, if we can get to that point, I mean, do you, do you think we could get to that point? Truly get to that point? Well, it's a, it's a very apropos, apropos question because I'm launching another new brand on January 29th on QVC called Seed mm -hmm. to Style. And mm -hmm. it is all the way from the seed. It's going to go straight yeah. to the consumer. And yes, and we are tracking every single step of the supply chain from farm to finish okay. fashion. Um, and it's also a very inclusive brand. It's going to go all the way up to 3XL. It's going to be the do first. You think, do you think that consumers are going to start demanding it from every brand? I do. I think that um, if you're starting a brand today and you're not thinking about you know strategies mm. around social and environmental sustainability, you're going to be out of the game eventually. I mean, look how many fashion brands and retailers have, you know, either imploded or been severely compromised during this, you know, COVID lockdown time, because they just weren't the brands people were turning to, whereas this sort of, you know, we can't go outside, but we can go inside, which is very metaphoric, we're reflecting, and we're saying what matters to us is frivolous shopping that important anymore? Or do we want to shop with
with our values? And do we want to look at the things we're buying and the brands we're supporting and the companies that we're getting behind? And the internet has changed the game. So I agree with what you said earlier about e-commerce, you know, is the next big frontier for fashion, I think, because it's storytelling and shopping and minimizing your carbon footprint all wrapped into one big sustainability boat, right? I'd like you to join me in supporting an extraordinary mission to make arts education real for underserved kids nationwide and help keep the creative connection alive. Look, arts are not a luxury. From the time that kids develop motor skills, they rely on the arts to learn how to communicate. Arts are a great collaborative experience and they teach us how to critically think and empathize and understand the human condition. So Mouth Media is proud to partner with AHA Broadway and support their efforts to help bring these vital services back to schools. With every dollar AHA Broadway raises, they will directly serve the kids of New York and beyond. Please visit ahabroadway.org slash 1000kids. Again, that's ahabroadway.org slash 1000kids. And please contribute anything you can to their crowdfunding effort. You know, recently I was over in London right before uh, quarantine. So in February, I was over there and I was on a trip uh, to discover just the different kind of ecosystems around uh, fashion and fashion technology over there. And in in that process, I interviewed a gentleman, uh, Christopher Suarez, and, uh, you know, he uh, he had sold his first brand that he was involved into LVMH. And uh, we had a really interesting chat about where do we think um, kind of these multi-conglomerates will be, right, in 20 years from now, let's say? And, you know, the discussion was around that if we believe that, you know, sustainability would be such a high priority to the consumer, then that will dictate kind of the decisions that these brands make. Now, but you can't be sustainable after a certain size of footprint, just it's it's hard to keep that circular circularity going um at scale like that so then you know my view has been maybe they'll just keep investing down into smaller smaller brands and and localize shopping and and try to re, you know kind of restore that that neighborhood value of shopping small and you know just building for yourself and your community um do you do you see that regression well i, I wouldn't even say regression i'd say progression yeah, um, I do think that some of the big fast fashion retailers like H&M that you mentioned, you know, they're to some extent, they're victims of their own business model, right? Because their business model yeah. is about proliferating to 52 seasons a year and, and driving fast fashion. And the consumer, you know, is going against that finally, right, where they want to slow down fashion and they don't what they maybe it's not two seasons a year, but it's certainly not 52 seasons a year anymore. Um, but I do think that the benefit of you know some of these big companies is they have deeper pockets to drive innovation and because of the pressure that they're seeing from their customers they're you know they're stepping up i mean not all of them but i definitely would say H&M is and they're leveraging the power of their platform to drive innovation 
to invest into, you know, supply chain changes. And are they perfect? Absolutely not. Do they have a long way to go? Absolutely. But are they on the path to transparency and, you know, circularity? Yes. And these are long-term commitments they're making. But listen, you know, journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, right? Yeah, look, I mean, they have a very passionate team. We, uh, Mark and I had first met Nina Shariati um, in Copenhagen when we interviewed her for this show. That's and right. that was what, probably what, almost three, four years ago now, Mark? And, oh my um, God, yes. Probably. I mean, that was a great show, uh, but it, it was over at the Shop Talk Copenhagen. Now, um, since then, Nina's been a close friend and, you know, we meet at environments like South by Southwest and, you know, we do some virtual interviews and things like that. And, you know, it's... Um, Again, their their head is in the right place, and they're really trying to make the best change that they can. But I think, yeah, you're you know they are a victim to your point of their own business model and and how how much can you get? Like it, I guess I'm just wondering. It's like, is the consumer consciousness going to ever be um, so powerful that it forces a breakdown of? Um, the size of these companies that we deal with. But I think that a necessity will, will counteract that, uh, unfortunately. Well, I would say this too. I started my career on the food side, not the fashion side. I mean, other than yeah. the fact that I got best dressed in high school, which is like my entire fashion Ayo. background. There's my fashion background. Um, you know, <laughs> I um, I started in food. I co-founded a school in 1990 that's, called, that's known today as the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and has certified over 100,000 people as health coaches. So, you know, again, looking at that model, 83% of Americans today are buying organic food, at least occasionally. And back in the day when I was running IIN, we all knew each other in the organic industry. That's how small it was. So I would liken where we are in fashion to, you know, there was a small, there were a handful of us in the 90s that are still standing today in eco fashion, right? That, you know, we're deep in the trenches and we you know, Die hard, build it, trying to build this movement. And we've seen a lot of people come and go through the last few decades. Today, I think we're at a tipping point. And similar to organic food, I think the low hanging fruit is organic fiber because you can't really support one part of the equation without the other. In fact, 60% of a cotton plant goes into the food stream for you know the seed for dairy for dairy feed and for oil for many snack products so there's so much interconnection between food and fiber not only in agriculture but in popular culture right maslow's hierarchy of needs what's our first basic need food our next basic need is shelter and clothing so to me it's connecting the dots and which we're starting to do it's driving change through consumer you know viral awareness like fashion revolution and i think the consumer is now demanding transparency which ultimately is propelling brands to take action because they recognize social media is no joke you know you can build a brand that way but you can also be destroyed through social media if you're not you know if someone exposes you and pulls the curtain back on you you know what what this is really interesting cuz you know with the with your starting off in the food industry and now you're saying that 80% of consumers are purchasing organic that is a, a staggeringly large number of consumers now i do also identify that food is an easier education to drive so you know you can have a netflix documentary like the magic pill right that comes out and you know 20 million people might watch it and that will change behavior very quickly because it's a direct impact on health. Now, 
the same thing with beauty, right? So topical creams or ingestibles and things like that. That's why I love marketplaces that are clean, right? And, you know, me having a young child now, we are, I mean, uh, obsessive with clean products around the home as well as uh, for beauty and what we're using. But with clothes, it feels indirect. And I feel that uh, the education is going to be a harder message to drive home. Uh, Are you finding that there are particularly strong paths to um, influencing change in in fashion and consumerism? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting because I started in food and I would definitely say that, you know, part of my forte is, you know, this sort of living at the intersection of food and fashion, and I still do today. Um, But, you know, I would say that, how you approach consumers makes a huge difference. You don't want to teach by preaching and, you know, scaring people. But the reality is, is our skin is the largest organ in our body. It's our primary organ for absorption. So we're not just what we put in our bodies. We're also what we put on our bodies. And if you pull the curtain back and you look at the magnitude and multitude of chemicals that are going into the production of a textile. And you wonder why a third of our population is walking around today with asthma and allergies, or 70 million people have chemical sensitivities. That's not really a joke (laughs) that you can just say, well, you know, maybe it's the food we're eating or, you know, we wear textiles 24 seven between our bedding and our bath products, as well as our clothing that we're wearing all day. So you start to look at, you know, what goes into the production of of a simple textile, even if it's a natural fiber textile like cotton, as I mentioned earlier, you have chlorine bleach, you have dyes and finishes that sometimes contain heavy metals or formaldehyde, acetone, you know, optical brighteners, um, and all of that, we you, you don't just wash it off the same way that you can't just take a conventional apple and wash it and say, well, now it's organic. You know, it's systemic. It's in the seed. It's in the plant. It's in the textile. It's in the fiber. And and then we're wearing these products. So yes, I think education is absolutely key. I think access to information, you know, is the name of the game now. And and that's why I think again, going back to blockchain and transparency and certification, we can storytell, but we have to do it from the raw material or the farm all the way to the finished product. It can't just be the fiber. It, it also has to be, what are the inputs? You know, what are the dyes and the finishes? What are the production methods that are being used? And then ultimately the social component. How, how much of that do you think, uh, realistically speaking, it needs to be the way that we label food? Uh, should, in a hypothetical world, should there be Uh, legislation that clothing should contain warnings saying, you know, this, uh, this clothing, is it about saying, here's clothing that has a problem? Or is it about saying, here's clothing that doesn't have a problem? (laughs) You know, which, which is going to actually affect more change and is more of a realistic. Yeah. Like a neutral, you're talking about like a nutrition kind of label for, for clothing, correct? Yeah. We've actually, we've actually done, we actually did a nutrition label on our MetaWare t-shirts that said, you know, pesticide zero, um, you know, GMO zero, chlorine bleach zero. So we did it in kind of a catchy, fun way. I think that is, you kind of have to do it that way. I don't think people are as like keen on like understanding that connection of nutrition, but I would say this, that it's about positive stories, right? And that's why I love the GOT standard, the Global Organic Textile Standard, because I can positively say there is nothing in this garment that can harm you. 
There is nothing in this garment or this bed sheet or this towel or this robe or this dress that is toxic because all the toxic inputs have been, you know, eliminated or not allowed into a GOTS certified garment. And I think you have to use high level language. Like when I go on QVC for, so we have two brands on QVC. We have Farm to Home, which launched, just launched, but then we have another show on January 21st. It's all organic home textiles. And then we have Seed to Style, as I mentioned, the organic apparel, sustainable apparel brand that's launching January 29th. And when I go on air, I don't try to like freak people out. It's more inspire and activate and engage people in. You you can vote with your dollars in that it's not this or that. It's this and that. You know, it's not deprivation and sacrifice to buy sustainable products. It's about value add. You're getting more. You're not getting something taken yeah. away from you. Well, you know, to to Mark's point, I mean, is it more about the messaging of this is good for you uh, versus this is what's in it, right? So, you know, I look to two different, um, I guess, uh, reporting requirements or campaigns that New York City had um, deployed with food. Uh, One, if you have more than six locations of any restaurant or any sort of food service uh, business, you have to have the calorie count and the nutritional information right on the menu itself, any sort of public-facing view of those items. And so at McDonald's, when you go in and you notice like, hey, this is how many calories are on this versus that, if you're going to eat the McDonald's anyway at a necessity of, hey, maybe it's the right price or I'm going to – I made the decision anyway, it still helps build healthier habits, right? So now I have a decision that I'm, you know, aware of, and I as the consumer um, can make that decision to be unhealthy or versus healthy. Now, I also understand that there is, you know, a an arena here that we're playing with that, look, for most people that are buying a winter coat um, at $40, it's not because they love the fashion of it at $40. They love the price and they could afford it at $40. The fashion is kind of like that's secondary. They just need to keep warm, right? So, um, you know, it's going to be hard to compete with that unless the pricing of garments can can really, uh, you know, uh, come down dramatically and be responsible. Are we there? Can we get to a point where, you know, clothing can be uh, affordable and uh, and also uh, responsible or or not detrimental to your health? Yeah, that is a great question. And probably one of the more commonly asked questions is, you know, what about the price, right? Um, Mm -hmm. the, The key is vertical integration. And so I've built my brands from the beginning with the goal and the mission to be affordable and accessible as well as authentic, meaning I have to build supply chains from the ground up because in a typical fashion supply chain, brands and retailers are going to factories and saying, I want this, you know, outfit, this, these garments, these styles, these silhouettes, whatever it is, here's my tech pack. And then they depend on the the factory to build the supply chain all the way back downwards to the, you know, and every step of the way, very frequently there are brokers and there are middlemen. So the cotton broker, and then you have the yarn broker, and then you have the fabric, you know, mill, and then you have, so there's a lot of markups that are unnecessary if you understand how to be more efficient in building your supply chain, starting at the farm or the raw materials and being vertically integrated. So you can add value to the product, be 
because you're sustainable and you're doing the right thing without adding price. And that is really how I've been able to launch at retailers like Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, Macy's, um, QVC. I mean, I've always been focused on mass market because I, I want to democratize organic and sustainable fashion. I want to make it so that it's not just for the elite, but everyone can afford it. And so that's really been, you know, my my goal for the last 25 years. And I think we've successfully achieved it. You know, look at all the retailers I just named where we sold product. It's an incredible accomplishment and, and a, a, a journey that you've come so far. And yet, of course, you look ahead and you say there's so much more to do, <laughs> but look at where we've come. Um, I'm wondering where the thoughts are about uh, and we've kind of hinted at it, but you know, I, th I think of that, that phrase, you know, look for the union label, you know, <laughs> the idea of, for example, and I don't mean this as like being idea boy, but I'm just <laughs> using it as an example to talk about this. So what would happen if there was education efforts made that like your brand, if you are able to demonstrate that you reach this certain level of sustainability or ecological responsibility that you earn this green label basically and you are allowed to uh it gets known that you you have this big green star or symbol or the label itself is green and so you look for that and anyone who's who's not uh, who has this green label but they have not qualified in certification you know, maybe sort of gets called out. But the idea is that you start looking for things that have the green label. So I guess my, my question is, how are you thinking about it in terms of certification or qualification for being that good? And you, it's almost like FOMO. Well, what's the next certification, right? There's a ton of certifications, but right. what's the net? Like, what, what yeah, do we do to really push well, the Well, what's needle? the one the public will care about? Well, so the here's the way I it. see it. There are elements of what you said in all the certifications that currently exist, and I would be really apprehensive to say we need more certifications because I think there's already certification fatigue out there because there's so many spokes in the wheel of eco-fashion. You've got fair trade. You've got circularity. You've got, you know, so you have the, the global recycled standard or you have the cradle-to-cradle -cradle standard, which measures measures, material health, material reuse, renewable energy, social justice, st water stewardship. Then you have the GOT standard, which is the equivalent of the organic food standard. And everybody recognizes the organic food seal now, right? Because, I mean, when you have Costco as the biggest buyer of organic food in America, everybody looks, knows what that seal, but we can't use that seal on a textile. So I would say the GOT standard is the platinum standard for a textile. So when you talk about the green seal, to me, the got seal is like as high as you get because you're looking at fiber and every touch point in the supply chain, every factory and every input, whereas certifications like the Okatex or Blue Sign, you know, those are just what kind of dyes and finishes you're adding. But it doesn't have any concern about the factories or the audit on the social compliance or the fibers or so they're partial standards. So there's a lot of things out there, but sort of you know, you can, as you start to educate yourself or you, you know, start to take classes and learn this stuff, you know, that like sort of the priorities of, you know, the highest, most comprehensive certification versus the ones that just address specific things. You know, Marcy, I'm curious, um, you know, most of our conversations on this show uh, kind of relate towards technology and uh, the enablement of kind of leaner business models or higher consumer uh, 
you know, relationship building and touch points and things of that nature. Um, are there areas that you're just generally in kind of retail, retail technology that you're most excited about that does touch on uh, sustainability or, you know, uh, responsible purchasing? So whether that be re-commerce, whether it be even be logistical technologies, um, marketplaces, whatever it might be. Yeah. So the yes and brand is kind of our new foray into this whole, you know, e-commerce um, and technology arena where um, we are farm all the way to consumer. It's a, it's a digitally native brand. Um, so we don't sell it retail anywhere, uh, brick and mortar retail, I should say. Um, and so this is our sort of testing ground for all things technology. So everything from, you know, we just partnered with wardrobe, which is a new, you know, rental, uh, similar to Rent the Runway. Mm -hmm. We just uh, partnered with Wardrobe, and now there's a Yes And closet on Wardrobe. So people who don't want to buy Yes And, they can rent Yes And, right? So that's a co-creation um, in the circular economy. We also are talking to companies about taking back Yes And products so they can repurpose it, similar to what the Renewal Workshop does, like in the in the outdoor market, you know, in terms of carbon mapping, as I mentioned earlier, you know, having that blockchain go all the way to the QR code, but also engaging the customer at the end and saying, do you want to offset the shipment to your home? Because for, you know, an extra 45 cents, you know, we're going to plant a tree to offset the uh, emissions mm. of your purchase, right? So, so we're in, we're actually activating our customer at the end. We're working on on getting this in place now. Um, but so for everything from you know where we start, where we're doing soil testing and we're working on you know the blockchain, all the way to a partnership we have right now with Producers Market, which is a digital storytelling platform. You can go on uh, Storybird and you can see the story of the Yes and Rosalie Tea, where it was made and everything that's in it. Um, um, and we're going to be offering that to all of our MetaWare clients, our private label clients, because that's what we do. We're turnkey, full package, customizable, plug and play, you know, source to story manufacturing, including all the certifications. Marcy, I love the offset option. I've never heard of that before. I've never seen it. Um, and, you know, it reminds me when I went over to John Hardy Jewelry in, in Bali, <laughs> uh, they, they, they had planted their millionth tree that week. And... Or a bamboo tree. And that to me was part, I mean, it was part of their story. It was part of their, you know, their circular, their, you know, their limitation of, of footprint. That's incredible. Yeah. John is a very, very close friend of mine. In fact, that's how I met Bondana is through John. Ah, <laughs> makes sense. And the, and the, the green school initiatives yeah. and, and everything in that area. Yeah. yeah we, we toured the green school with him and his wife. Uh, it was, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. Very, very, uh, very aligned mm -hmm. with John. Got it. I'd love to know, when do you get the most frustrated at brands? Like, <laughs> like what moves right now uh, just dry, just make you crazy? And you don't have to call tell, anyone tell out. Them why, tell them why you're mad. Tell them why you're mad. Yeah, like, like you know, <laughs> and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm thinking about, you know, with all of the information that's out now, all of the analysis and data that's available now, the easily provable path to it being, if not as profitable potentially more profitable to operate a sustainable you know have sustainable products uh and a sustainable operation etc cetera, etc cetera. um 
What's the ignition point for you? Yeah. So, okay. I'll just start with, you know, Albert Einstein once said, we can't solve today's problems with the same consciousness that created those problems. And so what I see is sometimes, you know, brands that are trying to put like a square peg in a round hole, they're trying to use the same thinking to get like some kind of shortcut to sustainability. So they're taking, you know, they're, they're, they're they're taking compromised paths such as they're taking 1% organic cotton and blending it with you know 80% rayon and you know another 9% you know polyester and another so they're mixing all the bad stuff with like a tiny tad of the good stuff and then they're marketing as this is sustainable and organic so that drives me crazy because i feel like that's you know it compromises those who are doing it right because it gives this perception to the, the consumer that, oh, well, if this is organic and this is organic, but this is much cheaper, um, why don't I, and, it, and maybe even, you know, something about it with the hand or the design that you, you know, would, would look a little different if it was done right, sustainably, then maybe they're choosing that thinking they're doing something good, but they're really not, right? So there's a lot of that sort of greenwashing, misinformation that happens. And again, sometimes it's knowingly and sometimes it's unknowingly. They're, that's what they're being told by their factories. So there's a lot of people out there that just, you know, for better or worse, don't know what they're doing yet. And they're just listening to the wrong people. They're getting a lot of glory <laughs> without actually affecting change, either knowingly or unknowingly. Exactly. And it can actually hurt those who are doing it right. Because, you know, when you, when you sidestep and you, you know, backdoor on doing it the right way, it could be cheaper that way. Right. And yeah. so, yeah. Got it. All right. Well, uh, that seems like a perfect moment to take a pause. And when we come back, it's going to be time for off the grid questions uh -oh. <laughs> where we ask questions uh, on a little more personal nature, more human nature of Marcy. And we'll do that in just a moment. Every business has at least one big pivotal moment. The moment when you say, okay, we're at this turning point, so then what? I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor. I hope you'll join me each week on my podcast, Then What?, as we talk with successful business leaders who push past their business's biggest then what moments and succeed in an even bigger way because of effective leadership and solid business practices. It's inspiring and deeply useful information for any entrepreneur. Subscribe to Then What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business all right marcy it's time for off the grid questions <laughs> where we ask questions frankly a little off the grid a little more personal in nature you never know what we're gonna uh -oh. ask because frankly we, we don't know either <laughs> yet so uh but and because there's two of us uh we're both jockeying for first <laughs> position uh and so we spin the wheel of grid destiny to figure out who's gonna ask the first question so and uh, give that uh Give that wheel a big pull and round and round it goes. 
and the first question comes from me. You are you're uh, d- d- didn't pick on you this time there, uh, there, Pavin. Uh, what the wheel you mean? Not the you. wheel. Oh no, I'll pick on you all day long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my my question, Marcy, is um, uh, what is the piece of clothing that you have had the longest that you still wear? And what memories are tied to it of special moments in your life that putting on that piece of clothing reminds you of? Yeah, so I it, there's actually a couple of pieces, but they are co-creations with um, with Daniel Silverstein, who is a zero waste designer in New York. And when I first moved to New York, I guess uh, 2013, um, because I do a lot of public speaking all over the world, and I speak at a lot of events. Um, I'm you know often kind of on stage and. Um, also on green carpets. And so we started to create some items just where he was using scraps and making me green carpet wares that, um, so I have this um, stunning dress that says it's even got an embroidered love on it that I've worn uh, when I was filming the the documentary thread, uh, driving fashion forward with Amber Valletta, I've worn it, you know, on the green carpet um, as a moderator or host um, through the years. And every time I wear it, it just makes me smile because it's it's just um, so stunning. And uh, and he also took the scraps from our metaware factory in Virginia and made me a, a sweatshirt using all organic cotton scraps and including the words across the sweatshirt, which say trashy. And um, I just love that. And that's so why I wear it all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, I wouldn't know whether to wear it or put it up on the wall, like just like, yeah, you know, cool. in front of my office or something. Right. So uh, which, by the way, my office is my living room right now. So I, guess I think we all whatever. feel the same. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, no reason except that it just makes me giggle. I'm going to spin the wheel again. And uh, of course, it's Mark it again. Smack. <laughs> it's me. Woo-hoo. It's smack. Smack. Smack on uh, on uh, on Pubbin's bun. Sure. Um, well, I'll start with this. Uh, do you think it's nurture or nature in terms of uh, what brought you down this path of eco fashion? And uh, well, starting with food and the whole progression into awareness. Yeah, um, I do think that it is nature because I had an epiphany that resonated deeply for me when I was 15 years old. A girlfriend gave me a book by Shakti Gawain called Living in the Light. And when I was reading it, I just felt my whole body kind of going, yes, you know, like, yes, and there's so much more than what we see, right? And that put me on my path. And suddenly I was on this trajectory where I was like a sponge of wanting to get information about the environment and health and wellness and food and agriculture. It was like this aha moment that I had. Um, And so I became a vegetarian before I was 16. And it kind of set me on my path and then um, dove into Eastern philosophy. And I met the founder of Aveda um, when I was still in my late teens. And he became my mentor for 25 plus years. In fact, he wrote the foreword to my book, Eco Renaissance. It was the last thing he wrote before he passed away. Um, And and he was just an icon and such an incredible um, revolutionary. So, you know, that is watching what he was doing. And the ultimate learning that I think I gained from him was through the lens of design, we can change the world. Because if you appeal to people at a visceral level, 
and you activate them aesthetically, then you can take them down the rabbit hole, right? So that's always kind of been my my premise. It's incredible how uh, how powerful design is, you know. But I do want to follow up that question with, uh, you know, throughout your travels. Now you mentioned you travel a lot for work, uh, well, for speaking engagements, but you also do travel a lot for work. And when you do travel for work, it, it's unlike the way that I travel for work, which is, you know, a week or two here and there. And, and I come back and maybe I jump on another flight to somewhere else for maybe a few days and come back. Uh, you're, I mean, you are uh, integrating yourself into processes, into communities, into uh, building um, kind of foundational cures, let's say, for uh, for the world. And, you know, I'm wondering out of your, your travels, what has been maybe the most mind-shifting or uh, I guess, personal development uh, experience that you've experienced through your travels? Yeah, I would say that being in the tribal farm projects of India is my happy place. It's like water for chocolate for me, because that's where it all starts. And and over 50% of the farmers are women. And there's this shared energy where they are so excited that I'm there, this, this like crazy white woman from across the world. And I'm like just soaking up their energy and the exchange of love is really, really powerful. And because it is an exchange, I'm not there to take from them or exploit them or, you know, it's not about, you know, me against you. It's me and you look at the power of what we can do together. One plus one equals 11, right? We're stronger together than we are apart. So let's co-create change in the world. Let you do this work on the ground and I'm going to take your work and I'm going to bring it to life and you're going to be the hero, right? To me, it's not about storytelling. It's about story doing. And it really does start at that level. So that's what that's what gets me excited. Well, Marcy, I think we're kindred spirits because uh, I have one plus one equals 11 on my, on my form. <laughs> you know, not my form. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I love that. No thing. way. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I, I, wow. I, you, yes. You've blown my mind, actually, <laughs> because I actually always say, and I've said for like 25 years, one plus one equals three which I heard from somebody else. <laughs> I'm going to change that because three seems so insufficient now when you say 11. Well, you bring them together. Yes, it's, ex- <laughs> um, it's exponential possibilities that's when, right. we, exactly. when we come together. You know, Marcy, I'm going to ask you the next time. So I have a, a most of my families in India. I mean, my immediate family is here in the U.S., but we're the only extension of, you know, our our full family that's here in the U.S. And I go back to India quite a bit, of course, because of quarantine, haven't been there in a little while. But uh you know, when when timing works out and we're both out there, I would love to uh, to join you and just kind of, you know, pass through and see what's going on. And hopefully Bandana will be around as well. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, I'm fascinated by the work that you both do uh, and would love to be a fly on the wall. Thank or you. Not even a fly yeah. or just even... Or even get dirty with you. you That's know? it. I would love that. And you absolutely are welcome. And Bondana is aware of my project. Um, so, yes, I would love her to come too. I've been, we've tried to coordinate on timing. Um, but, yes, I would love to, to host you. Um, it is, it's just, it, you know, it's this marriage of culture and consciousness and community and collaboration and connection and creativity, which are really the, the principles of the eco-renaissance, the rebirth of humanity. And, and that's where it starts. So I would absolutely um, love you to join me there. 
Oh, deals Thank just you. happening. <laughs> All the connections happening on fashion is your business, a magical place. That's how it works. Uh, how- yep. uh, well, well, we'll start off with inviting you to the next uh, FaceTime cocktail uh, session. <laughs> we're pumped that it's generally drinking midday and uh, it's nighttime for us. Yeah, count me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember getting my invitation. So Marcy, how can people uh, connect with you uh, directly or perhaps with the work that you're doing? Sure. So on Instagram at Marcy Zaroff, um, I also have MarcyZaroff.com. And then at EcoFashionCorp.com, we have all of our brands, uh, links to all of our brands, including JoinYesAnd.com, MetaWearOrganic.com, uh, farmtohome.com and of course on Instagram at yes and at MetaWare Organic at Farm to Home Organic um, and and so and at Seed to Style uh, coming soon uh, just as a last reminder. Right. You have quite the following. This is fun. Having fun. All just right. getting started. Uh, no question about it. I love when someone's already so far in their journey and they're like, oh my god, no, that was the pre, that was the prologue. This that is was the, the book. appetizer. Exactly. Well, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations on everything you've accomplished so far, number one. Number two, just as a human being on planet Earth, I want to thank you for the work that you've done over the years and being such a um a beacon of inspiration and motivation and trying to propel change that isn't just about business, it's about um health and of our planet and of our, of people. Um, and, uh, I just think that's just awesome. So, um, you know, I kind of like in Wayne's world, you know, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> you're, 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 you know, I appreciate when someone has made it such a part of their life to drive a mission like this. So. Absolutely. Well, I think it's, you know, it's not just about, of course, we all love Gandhi and, you know, be the change we wish to see in the world, but now it's about, we need to wear the change we wish yep. to see in the world. There so, you go. Uh, there if you you're go. not a part of the problem, you're a part of the, if you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So <laughs> that's, that's the name of the game. Well, you know, what's going to happen. So, so, if not now, soon people will start quoting Marcy Zeroff instead of, you, <laughs> quoting, you know, like, you know, 20 years from now, people going, you know, as Marcy Zeroff said, da, 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 da. <laughs> so congratulations again. Thank, Thank you very you. much for joining us. Thank um, you so much. Everybody check out everything that Marcy said. Uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think this was a wonderful episode. And we'll see you next week for a brand new episode, a brand new guest. Until then, for Pub and Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening.